Do you suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtown's Healthcare in Denver. Downtown's Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. Hi everyone, I'm John C. Morley, the host of the J. Moore Tech Talk Show and Inspirations for Your Life. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome once again to another amazingly interesting and educational episode of the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Tonight, February 25th, I am pleased to have on a second time, which is uh, Lieutenant Retired uh, Colonel Wayne Phelps, and we'll be talking more about his pretty amazing book, On Killing Remotely, The Psychology of Killing with Drones. If you haven't picked it up, uh, maybe you'll want to do that after the program, or you can order it right online. You know, when we talk about technology, um, as we said, the Air Force, the Marines, and the Navy, they're pretty top of the game because they're always getting things that we have, but they're always about five to seven years basically ahead of us uh, before it becomes into like regular uh, stuff for us to be able to purchase. Well, you know, when we think about these different things, uh, there's a lot of stuff that they're working on. In fact, one thing right now is the Hydromia's wireless ROV FPSO. What the heck is that? <laughs> so the Hydromia's wireless ROV is the remotely operated vehicle. FPSO is the floating production storage and offloading. And then when we put it all together, it's the Hydromia's wireless Remotely operated vehicle, floating production storage and offloading ballast water tank. This is cool. I mean, really, really cool. A tank that they started working on, I don't know how long ago, but just to look at the picture of this thing, um, Switzerland's based subsea wireless access provider Hydromia has said, and I quote, it has recently successfully trialed X-Ray, its wireless underwater ROV system in a full ballast water tank of the Total Energy's North Sea. So the X-Ray was originally created to collect visual inspection data, uh, validating systems, uh, etc., including a wireless navigation, and wireless communication. So according to Hydromia, uh, the pilot was able to command and control the vehicle and receive real-time in 1080p video feedback using, of course, proprietary wireless optical sensor communication technology. And uh, that replaced the cable connection that they used to have a while back. 
lots of limitations with cables, right? So without having any type of binding or a tether, um, the uh, challenge of being entangled uh, became eliminated and allowed this device to go into even greater areas uh, to gather more information. But, you know, when we think about this uh, device, right now it's being used for surveillance and gathering information, right? I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we saw this um, having weaponry on it. And so just like we think about, you know, drones, which we'll be talking about in a little bit um, with our guest, this is kind of a new type of drone and it's in the water. So a drone doesn't necessarily have to be in the air. It could be on wheels, right? Or it could be in the water. And who knows? They might even come up with drones that will be able to go, just like in the cartoons, from land to water to back on land, and then maybe even fly, which would take the ability of the drone. But do this kind of as need be so they could stay stealth and be able to um, get as close to its target as it needed to um, so they could get the information that it needs or if it needed to uh, eliminate uh, that target almost without notice. So I think there's a lot uh, that's going to be coming up the pike. So we'll keep our eyes peeled on that. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me an extreme pleasure to welcome to the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Uh, a gentleman that was on here uh, just last week, giving us some real insights and somebody who um, was in the Marines himself and being able to learn what it is that he is sharing with us about uh, different types of uh, drones, uh, you know, the different robots and how they're killing um, people. And uh, tonight, we're going to get a little deeper because we're going to cover some things that we didn't have a chance to cover last time, which is more about the psychology of killing. And so what is it like when you, know, you actually kill? Uh, do people get any type of reactions? Do people miss on purpose? I know a lot of people have asked that question, so I'm definitely going to be asking him that. And where are we headed? What can he share with us about what's coming up in the future? Again, um, let's welcome to the Jay Moore Tech Talk stage, um, Mr. Lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps. Well, hi, everyone. It is John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur here, and welcome once again to another great uh, edition of the Jay Moore Tech Talk show. You guys remember last week, and if you missed it, you missed a great show, but don't worry. You could go to our website, and you could watch the entire thing as many times as you want, because there's a lot of information. I guarantee you will not remember everything the first time you watch it, at least five or 10 times, and then you'll get some of it. I am here again and very honored to be with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Wayne Phelps uh, to talk to us more about this exciting book, which is On Killing Remotely, The Psychology of Killing with Drones. And um, when we left off last time, we were talking about who's affected. And to go into that a little bit deeper, I have some more questions, but before I do, uh, we actually had several people uh, that actually emailed us and messaged us and said, 
what the heck is a Hellfire <laughs> missile? Well, John, thanks for having me back again. Um, so Hellfire missile, uh, is it started off as an anti-tank missile uh, that was fired from uh, attack helicopters like the Apache. Uh, and then they, they modified it to go on the Predator drone. Um, so it's, it's a laser-guided uh, missile. Um, and, and that just means that it follows a laser spot uh, where you have a laser pointer that points at a target. It follows that spot all the way down to, to the target. So you're not going to be able to avoid that, are you? Um, Probably not. Well, it's it's harder to hit moving targets, that's for sure, because you got to keep the laser spot on the moving target. But So when they track it, is tracking enabled automatically? Is it very similar to, uh, what was that uh, science, <laughs> um, uh, you know, the one I mean, where they, they had the professor and uh, they decided to retaliate against him, so they decided to put, uh, I think it was unpop popcorn, and then... They took the laser that was supposed to be somewhere else from the um, the military, and they shined it at his window, and the whole house just erupted <laughs> with popcorn. I, I'm not familiar with that, but uh, it was called a weird science. Uh, oh, weird science! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one of the weird science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had made the whole floor out of ice. They they gassed the floor so you could ice skate. But my point is, is that that was a tracking. Is that something that we have, or is that something that was kind of like, you know, not existing yet? They set that and literally put the coordinates in and it automatically went to that target. Like they didn't have to do anything. They put the target in and then they could just literally let their hands off. Is that how it works today or not quite that automated? Yeah, you know, I, I prefer not to talk about some, okay, of, the, some, of, the about okay. some of the capabilities okay. uh, that okay. we have. So. Okay. But but it's it's uh it's it's interesting that um that they that that they did that in that show, what they could do. It was just uh, I mean, it was meant to be funny, but uh, this was a science project and it, and it became an amazing thing. So when we talk about, you know, killing remotely, we talked about who's harmed. But there's something else that comes uh, out in your book, and that is. What are the two types of distances that affect how someone feels uh, when they're killed? You talked about them in your book. If you can elaborate a little bit about them, um, something that we wouldn't really think about. Yeah, so in. On killing remotely, I really built on uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's model that he used in on killing, uh, and in fact, he he helped write this book. Um, so he, you know, he proposes that the response to killing is directly proportional to your distance uh, to the victim. Right. So, further removed you are, uh, the less of, uh, less of an effect it's going to have on you. Uh, and he takes it from you know bombers and artillery on one end, all the way into you know, knife fighting and uh, you know grenade range and things like that. And he said, obviously, the closer you are, the uh, the more difficult it's going to be to kill. Like the resistance to kill is there, and then the more that it's going to affect you uh, as well. So so the first distance is physical distance, and what I wanted to uh, convey in, in this book was that physical distance is really kind of irrelevant for RPA crew uh, because they're they're so far removed from the people that they're actually striking that it it, it doesn't make a difference right it's it's 7,000 miles it's on the other side of the planet um, it's physical distance to the target is irrelevant 
but what I wanted to, uh, to, to really bring home is the more important distance is their cognitive or their empathetic distance. And that's how close they feel to the target. Right? It typically, physical and cognitive distance were aligned with previous weapon systems, right? So if you're stabbing somebody, your, your physical and cognitive distance are equivalent. Uh, and that's true for most weapon systems up to the point where you get to a remotely piloted aircraft where your physical distance is, is the other side of the planet and your cognitive distance is shrunken to be very intimate and very close. And that's due to the nature of remotely piloted aircraft. They have a long loiter time and they have a high definition camera that you can zoom in and see all of the intimate you know, details of a, of a person, you know, all of the uh, things that make us uh, recognize humanity in a person. So those are the two, uh, two distances that are kind of working against each other. And you refer to something interesting in your book, too. You talk about uh, the level of closeness, which you're referring to now. There's one that's an intimacy level of closeness. And I remember you saying something in the book that when somebody's at that intimate, almost where you'd be with your, your, your partner, and you can feel their flesh and, and tell that they're not alive anymore, it has a big dramatic impact as opposed to if I was 100 yards away from it. So I think it's that as well, which, so there's a lot of factors that go into distance, I guess, in what I'll call our personal space. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We wanna make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world! Uh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Yeah, absolutely. It, it you know, gets to the point of um, being able to see a target's eyes and their face, right? It gives them uh, agency. Um, if, if you can remove that, uh, becomes uh, becomes easier. Uh, there's less resistance actually striking that kind of target. So now you make an interesting point in the book. You say, "Are we at war?" Give our viewers a little information about what that is, because um, in order for us to be able to shoot, uh, certain things have to happen, as you mentioned a little before. But if they're not, then we're technically 
um, doing something illegal, and that would be like assassination. Yeah, so if we're striking a target with a military asset, then it has to be done under some sort of authorization for the use of military force. Um, so I, I pose the question, you know, are we at war if we're, we're only using uh, drones to strike targets from uh, thousands of miles away? And there's, there's no uh, necessarily uh, physical skin in the game. You know, we're not putting troops in harm's way. Uh, does, does that mean we're still at war? Uh, and, and are we going to fight war uh, this way in the future? And does it make it easier for us to engage in conflicts when we don't have troops in harm's way? So I answer all of those questions in the book. Um, the, towards the first question, the authorization for the use of military force, we have expanded the two original uh, authorizations for Iraq and Afghanistan to a point where uh, we've we're fighting different enemies in different geographic locations under the same authorization. Um, so it's, I think we've really exceeded our authorities there, but legally we're, we're technically still covered. Uh, so that's how you, you see strikes in you know, countries like Syria, uh, uh, Libya, Somalia, uh, things like that, right? So these, these strikes are covered under this broad umbrella. It's a lot to think about. And there's another thing that really caught my attention is that, and we're kind of alluding to it, we haven't really talked about it, and now we will. We say that when you don't see the person, it's easier for you to kill them. But the military and the Navy, the Marines, all the government agencies that help with uh, weaponry are actually instilling something inside the soldiers to be a soldier, but they're also instilling in them how to be dehumanized, which kind of was interesting. They even went as far as to take the target and have them hit something that looks real. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so that, that's uh, that's more of a reference to on killing and, and the work that they did there too, where they, they looked at, uh, and some of those studies I, I believe uh, have been debunked uh, that, that soldiers weren't actually willing to kill other you know, enemy combatants in World War II. But one thing they tried to do was, was make targets look more like, uh, like a human silhouette and give them less time to fire on a rifle range as opposed to slow fire. It's, you know, it's rapid fire at a human target. Uh, so you have all of these things that become muscle memory uh, and it's, you know, operant conditioning. So uh, there's, you, you know, you, at the, the point of friction, you don't necessarily want warriors uh, thinking uh, too critically about the target other than is it a legitimate target and should I shoot it, right? So uh, a lot of the, the conditioning we do gets, gets them to that point. Um, it's not the time for philosophical debates. Um, you know, you can't have a <laughs> an entire uh, army on the battlefield that's uh, reluctant to to kill legitimate military targets. I'm not sure if this is something in common or not. Are they doing certain things now to figure out if the person that they're bringing into the military, um, Navy, Army, Marines, have not only the 
intelligence level, but they have that mental acuity that's going to be trainable. Some people are not trainable. I know with getting my degree as well, engineering and also hypnosis, uh, some people are not trainable. Yeah, I, I don't know that um, that we have changed the the way we recruit people uh, based off of their trainability. And they're, they're, there's all kinds of studies that are you know indicators for what's uh, what success uh, you know what success will be, right? Um, one of the things that they have started doing um, for RPA crews is in the entry-level training, they talk about the fact that there is a high likelihood in their occupation that they are going to have to take a human life uh, in combat. And if they're not okay with that, um, then they can put them in a different track where they can just fly drones uh, that are not armed, that are just used for surveillance and reconnaissance. So I think that that is a very important conversation that's happened. You know, it's happening early in the training, and I think uh, that's a good thing. Um, although no one really knows how you're going to respond uh, the first time uh, you strike a target. If you're having those reservations before that even happens, I think it's good to uh, put those people in a position where they're not going to be uh, you know, conducting those kinds of missions. I think that's great that the... Uh... You know that, that our, our military, army, and navy actually have the ability. So that just because you're not able to do that or don't want to do that, uh, I know when I was um, just about to graduate uh, college, uh, I was actually offered a position, and uh, a friend of mine had a similar position, and uh, they didn't give me a lot of the details. And I went to the interview, and they said to me, John, they said this is uh, I'm such and such, and uh, he couldn't tell me where it was from. And I said, well, what are we doing? He said, well, you're going to be doing robotics and engineering. I said, well, this is great. I said, let me just put a caveat out there. I said, probably doesn't matter to you, but I said, I just want to throw something out there, right? I don't know if you do any defense type work or anything like that. I'm more than happy to help you with anything you need. Just don't ever ask me to build hardware or software that's going to kill somebody. And after that, the guy went back in the chair like this. He had made me an offer, and I, he says, well, what if, we, what if we increase the money? I said, first of all, you can't buy me. Second of all, I'm not going to do something that's going to override my morals. And so I won't build something that can do that, even if you tell me it has safeguards, because we all know that you could take out stuff that I've designed, change logic. And he said to me, John, he says, you're very bright. I said, yes. I said, and that's why I'm going to open my own company. So I think it's important to know what you want to do, what you can do, what your limits are. Some people are okay with that. You know, a lot of people take the military uh, and what they do similar to a video game. And video games are like, oh, that's so cool. It's so cool. But I don't think that's how the uh, military and the Marines view it. How would you say they relate to that? <laughs> so if... If there's one thing that people watching this, uh, I want them to take away from this conversation, it's that we should never compare uh, the taking of human life with a video game. Uh, it's absolutely serious business. It's done by professionals that are trained in the, uh, you know, the, the, the ethical distribution of controlled violence. 
when it's authorized, right? Uh, video games are, uh, you know, they're, they're fantasy. They're, they're not, uh, th there's no ramifications of, of getting something wrong. Um, so there's a lot of people that compare uh, drones, flying drones to, to uh, playing a video game. And it's, you know, it marginalizes the entire community. It's, it's a horrible analogy uh, and everybody in the community just hates it. So we, we got to stop doing it. Um, you know, when, when people can suffer uh, PTSD from, from this kind of work, uh, that should tell you that it's serious business and we should stop comparing it to video games. I think where this comes from is the movie. It's a good movie. War games. <laughs> yeah. And, was a good movie. yeah. You know, for those of you who haven't watched it, definitely watch it. It's about this, this kid and his girlfriend, and they basically get in on a, a line when dial up was popular. Right. And he gets into a line and they don't really believe that, um, he's doing it innocently, but he really wasn't doing anything uh, to harm uh, the government. But they didn't believe that. And uh, they got in, and then when he tried to prove to them what was going on, they took more action against him. And so I think the biggest thing we can learn from this, like with that movie, when they took the uh, Minutemen out of those silos, and, you know, they put in basically automated systems so that when they made the decision and the computer made the decision to fire that missile, we don't have Minutemen anymore. So because of that, that missile is ready to fire. But that also means that if something is made wrong, the missile is going to fire. Now, hopefully we're not there yet. We have the technology that can do that. That movie opened a lot of people's eyes because oh my gosh, we're annihilating a whole country, a whole world. And then when they check, they're like, oh, it's just a simulation. And that movie made a very uh, compelling point. Sometimes the best way to win is not to play at all. And I think that movie drove on the point that that was a game, but everyone acted like it was real life. So that should give us a good comparison that video games are fantasy. Even when, you know, we get very um, pumped up, the adrenaline. And I always say that technology can be used for good or can be used for bad. If it's being used for something that's going to harm someone or another, whether you know about it or don't know about it, that's an addiction. And that's something that should be stopped. And that's someone that probably needs some help. So uh, I, I agree with uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Phelps that... Uh, you know, we really need to take games seriously. I think there should be a course at school. People probably think I'm crazy. There should be a course taught maybe in fifth grade or fourth grade about the difference between a video game and real life. So they understand that it's fantasy and they understand what real life is. I think it also goes back to something called real and pretend. I know a lot of uh, young kids struggle with this. They don't know what real and pretend is. And it takes them a while before they can figure it out. They, they suddenly realize that real is something that could hurt or harm them. Pretend is something that we just imagine that you're being destroyed. They also do something else, uh, which was interesting. They change the wording, don't they? They don't use the word kill. Yeah, 
Uh, Ian, I, I talk uh, extensively about all of the ways that we either a, um, overtly or covertly dehumanize uh, targets to make it easier for people to uh, to, to overcome any sort of resistance and, you know, and strike a target. Um, so we we very rarely use the term or the phrase, you know, kill that person, uh, right, right, you know, right there next to the tree, kill that person. Instead, it's, you know, you're cleared to, to strike the target uh, 200 meters west of, of the tree, something like that, right? So we use these uh, innocuous terms, these things that are dehumanizing um, to the point where the, the terms for strike, we are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Uh, instead of kill, we replace it with strike. The term for person is, you know, is target or uh, an objective name or you name it. So, and this this is nothing unique to drones. This is you know, military wide. We, we we do this. So part of it is for brevity because we we do a lot of communications over the radio, and we have all these codes for for brevity, and it's just you know it's common language. Uh, but I think part of it in uh, Part of it dehumanizes uh, individuals and makes it makes it easier for us to 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 do our our job, which involves killing sometimes, and that's that's the reality of the work that people in the military do. Is uh, sometimes we have to you know we have to do that. It's not something that you're making decision you want to do. It's part of your it's part of your mission. And you don't make those decisions, but somebody higher up makes them. And then later on, when you learn the rules, but sometimes you can't always learn if somebody is that bad guy. You just have to take their word for it and believe that they've got substantial evidence. Because sometimes you may not be cleared to know why that person's being taken out. It may not be part of your mission. Yeah, or sometimes you just have to you have to have trust that the person that is requesting for you to take action has already done their due diligence, um, whether it's through intelligence or positive identification of a weapon, or they've 
they've observed some sort of hostile intent or something like that, right? So oftentimes uh, drone, crew, drone crews will respond to someone on the ground saying, I need you to strike this individual or this target. Uh, and they will come in and they'll set up the mission with them and they will clear them hot to come in and strike that target. Uh, in that situation, the drone crew is trusting that that individual on the ground has you know, determined it's a legitimate military target, that they're minimizing civilian casualties, all of those things. It's ethical and moral, all, all of those things that we talked about, right? So there's a lot of trust uh, in, in everyone uh, within the, the, the kill chain, if you want to call it that. They even have in the HPT teams, we didn't talk too much about this, but it's in your book. They have the medical people, obviously, but they also have uh, clergy there and other psychologists there to help them cope and deal with things. And um, they're different than most people because they have to be okay with the killing, which is not something most priests and others can really grapple or got their hands around. So I think that must be hard for them, too. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Am I missing they, that? The I, I, yeah, I don't know that. Uh, so it's a human performance team, and yes. I don't, I don't know that they have to be okay with the killing. Okay, but they have to help somebody get through a challenging situation, right? Whether it's through, uh, uh, through mental health uh, help or through religious help, prayer. Or, yeah. yeah, you know, finding finding something that, that grounds them and, and gets them back uh, to a healthy state. So that's why they're there. They're, they're not there to, to, to sanction killing or to, okay. you know, to, to, to bless it, but they're, they're there to, okay. help, to help people that are going to struggle inevitably uh, with some of the things that, you know, we, frankly, we as a, you know, as a country ask them to do on our behalf. So it's good to know that there's support systems in place uh, to help them. And they also have the same, they have to have the same level of clearance because they're right in the thick of it. They're right in the mission with everybody. So that's a very interesting. And also they have to have very trusted uh, medical people and trusted uh, priests and doctors and whatnot that are going to be able to operate in an environment. I know a lot of doctors probably couldn't operate in that kind of environment. It's a very challenging situation yeah but i also think it's very rewarding uh okay. for, for them because of the you know the, the the help that they're providing um you know they're, they're frontline care workers you know they're the first people that uh, somebody will talk to when something goes wrong so they can have an immediate impact on somebody's life for the rest of their life so they're, they're doing meaningful work i have two last questions for you First question I want to ask before I ask the, the last question is, what inspired you to write this book? To There's a lot of people that did not what you did, but were involved in these. What made you want to take this step and, and get this out there for us to read? So I spent the last, um, let's see, the last six years of my career in the Marine Corps working uh, working with drones, and a, a lot of a lot of the things that I discuss in the book uh, are, are talked about. They're you know, it resulted in a lot of frustration and marginalization of a community and a community that was was little understood, but in high demand. 
uh, and then often shunned as well. So, so there's all kinds of challenges. And then the further I, I dug into the, uh, the topic, the more I started to realize that there's, there's a ton of other challenges too, the you know, psychological challenges, the long-term health effects, the, um, the overworked and overstressed population of people, the retention of quality service members, uh, all of those things. And I, I felt like we only hear one side of the story uh, when it comes to drone crews and drone strikes. And the only time we hear about them is when something goes wrong, right? When we have a strike that kills civilians or things like that. You know, 99.9% .9 of the time, things go as planned and, and they're, they're a non-issue. You don't hear about them in the news because of that, right? And, and nobody's telling that story that this is a professional group of, of people uh, that are, you know, marginalized. They're, they're treated as, uh, uh, they're treated as a suboptimal group within the military almost. So, so I think that I wanted to be an advocate for the community. Uh, and what inspired me to do that was the fact that I had, I had sent several uh, teams off to fight uh, against a violent extremist organization using drones. And I wanted to know how, how it affected those people. And I bet a lot of people uh, in the military now are probably reading this book and hopefully soaking up the knowledge and maybe preparing a little more mentally for what to expect, because there really isn't a book to prepare you for what you do every day, is there? No, there isn't. But I think this is a good start if you're in this Definitely. line of work. Uh, in fact, in fact, I was just down at uh, the school at uh, San Antonio where they train uh, the entry-level drone pilots. I was just oh, wow. down there a couple of weeks ago speaking at the graduation um, and, and talking with them about some of the challenges they're going to face in their career and uh, you know things like that. So and a lot of them have already they're already well aware of the book and have read it. And you know, if I can do anything to help people prepare for what they're encountering in their career and then help them for how to deal with what they've already done in their life, you know, moving forward. Uh, I've received just countless um, messages, uh, text, emails, all kinds of things from people that said, you know, thanks for, thanks for putting this into words, uh, what I was feeling or, or what I couldn't explain. But uh, I think you've, You've really helped me to understand why I feel this way. So it kind of it kind of was um, if you will, kind of like a a, a bringing together, uh, you know, of the troops, a bonding uh, is what I see the book did. It kind of got people on the same page. Maybe they were afraid to talk about it, but now that it's in print, like, oh yeah, I was feeling that too, and maybe it might let them be a little bit more easy in their life. And like, oh, I go through that too when I go home. Yeah. So I think it definitely. It struck a chord, but something else uh, interesting before I ask you the very last question I have for you today. It was when I was in, I was actually in college and my freshman or sophomore year, I became a peer counselor and I wanted to help people. I know people were taking their lives and things like that. It was my sophomore year and I became friends with this gentleman. His name, um, his name was Craig. Very nice gentleman, probably about the same age as me. 
And I met his parents, really nice people. He didn't friend a lot of people. And uh, he was pretty much a loner. He didn't talk to a lot of people. And I was supposed to go visit him um, when I was coming home one weekend. And uh, his parents were excited I was coming over. He had never a friend. So it was a good thing. And my train, because I had to take the train from Hartford to New Haven. Well, my train was running behind. So guess what happened? I missed the connecting train from New Haven to get into New Jersey. It was not much I could do. So I took the next one. So that meant that I arrived an hour and a half late. I called him to let him know that I was running late. He didn't pick up the phone. Well, apparently when I got there, he wasn't there. So I didn't have his, have anything. I called him. Nobody picked me up. I waited a while and nobody was there. So I guess I should just go back home. I mean, it was like 20 minutes. So I should go home because I don't know anybody. Here. I don't know where he lives. I looked up his number. He's unlisted. His parents are at work. I don't know. I mean, it's like a needle in a haystack. And I got home, and at about 10, 11 o'clock at night, his parents called me. And I said, hi, how are you? Oh, John, not too good. And I said, what's the matter? It's Craig. I said, how's he feeling? Oh, he's not with us anymore. I said, oh, my gosh, what happened? She said, um, he passed away. I said, was he sick? No. I said, well, what happened? She said, well, he took his life. And I said, um, can I ask why? She said, yeah, you were supposed to come and visit him. I said, yeah, I was visiting him. And actually, I was there. He didn't pick me up. She says, but you were supposed to be there at 1.30. And you didn't, you said you got there at 2.45. I said, or 3.45. I said, yeah, because what happened with the train? She says, well, Craig never got your message. And he figured you had given up on him, too. And he figured his life wasn't worth living. I just didn't know what to say, what to do, but it hits home with me because if people don't value life, there's one thing your book does is it teaches people that life is very precious. And I don't think that was a concept. The main concept was you wanted to make people comfortable with their, you know, they're okay to do what they're doing in their job, but it gets people every day that are not in the military to say, hey, you know what? Life is so precious. We need to really... Be grateful for every day we have, every minute, every breath we take. And so that's really what, what I got when I when I hit one of your chapters. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think about Craig. And I was like, well, what could I have done? I could have done anything. And I felt terrible. So I decided for a few years to become a peer counselor so that hopefully that wouldn't happen. And then I learned he tried to take his life four times. This was the fifth time. He was successful this time. Uh, this time he overdosed. The other time he cut his wrists. And I didn't even know this because he never shared this, but his parents told me and they were two doctors. So you just never know. I think it's really important. Uh, I have a, a, um, a segment that I've done before. It's called What's on Your Mind? And I think it's really important, not just for lay people, but also the military, because I see a lot of people there that might not make it because of that going through. So I think it's important that they talk it out and they say, look, this is what's going on. You know, you're important, you're valued, you're a viable part people in the community. And I think they need to know their support. I think that's really important. Wow. I mean, that's, that's such a, that's such a powerful story, John. Um, it, it hit home to me. Yeah. I got to like the third chapter. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's like the humanness hit it. Cause that's not a story. Many people will tell you that they had somebody that, that died. that took their life. Maybe they, they died for other reasons, but that's just always going to sit with me. And I think, you know, what if, what if we went there? What were we going to do? What movie were we going to do? What were we going to see? What we're going to 
So you think what if, but my last question on, on a lighter note is, and I don't know if you're able to answer this. So where are we going uh, that you can share with us, oh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, with the, uh, let's say automated robots are we becoming terminator are we going to have autonomous robots that are going to kill me what can you share with us what is the future i'm in technology every day and i tell people if we're not careful things can be done it's just do we want to execute them you know i think that's a great segue into the next book i'm writing okay um, i'm writing another book uh currently about lethal autonomous weapon systems so okay. the convergence of AI, robotics, and autonomy into a single platform that senses the environment, picks its own target, makes the decision to engage the target all without a human in the loop or a human input. It sounds a little scary. It, you know, it, it does sound scary, but uh, there are cases, uh, there are reasons why we're we're moving in that direction. Uh, in some instances, we're already there today. Is it the human element, basically? That's the, is it there because of the human element, or is it because of time? May I ask why we're going this way? Is it is it time? Is it resources? Uh... It's time. You know, it's it's machine speed versus human speed. Um, okay. It's being able to operate in a degraded a communications degraded environment okay. where you can't communicate to a machine, but you don't want to put a, per a person in harm's way. Um, and it's also, you know, if, if think about from this perspective, if we can make self-driving cars safer than human driven cars, do we have a moral imperative to, only use self-driving cars. As long as a ransomware, a virus, that there's sure. there's some other fail-safe. So let's say that your autonomous weapon system mm -hmm. defined this person, they're going to kill them. But let's say that there are, I don't know, there's three or four safeties, maybe five safeties. If one of those safeties has the slightest trip, the whole thing's disarmed. And it needs... Right. That's the way I see it, because it can't just be one choice. There's got to be multiple validations, I'll call it. And if all six of those are in alignment, maybe it's 10, who knows? But if all 10 of them are in alignment, we know the probability of us being wrong is like 0.00000001. And then that would say it makes sense, but it would never just be, if we see this, see that, fire. It's got to have a lot more. In yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm not saying that uh, those kinds of uh, fail safes won't be in, in there. I'm saying if we get to the point where a machine or you know a robot um, can be more discerning in its targeting process and actually mitigate collateral mm -hmm. damage, do we have a moral imperative to allow the machine to do that? If it's you know, within a time and place of our choosing when we're you know, going after legitimate military targets. So th those are the kind of questions I'm going to explore in, in the next book. When is your book uh, due to release? <laughs> I, I got to write it first, man. <laughs> you, you, you sound like the one I just started. So I just started writing my first book. It'll be out about four months, but I just started a few months ago. So yeah, it's a, it's a process, but I said, I don't want to do it over a year. I want to, so I started putting eight hours in every weekend. 
Wow. Because otherwise I'm never going to write it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Colonel Wayne Fellows, it, uh, again, was a privilege, a pleasure, and an honor. First of all, thank you very much for the book uh, on killing remotely, the psychology of uh, killing with drones. Um, you're going to get an education. And if you're in the military, um, you're in the Army, um, or the Marines, which hopefully you guys will be getting this from our press releases, uh, you're going to want to pick this book up. Or if you have a loved one that's there, pick this book up, maybe sign it with love and send it off to them or your boyfriend, girlfriend, what have you. Send it off to them. This is a book that's going to be a tool. It's not a book. It's a tool that you're going to integrate into your arsenal. And I got to tell you something. No one can ever take this away from you once you store it up here. Again, uh, a very big uh, privilege. And uh, do keep us abreast when the next uh, book comes out. We'll do. Do you have John. a title for that book? I do, but I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to share yet. Okay. Okay. So you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Okay. All so right. what, what what are you thinking about about a year, six months? Uh, probably at least eighteen months before it's published. Okay. Well, send it to us, and uh, I'm sure we'll need a little time to digest that one. But I think it may be a little easier than this one because that one's going to talk more of the AI piece. So. That one I probably can blow through a little quicker. <laughs> but I That's wanted true. I wanted to, you know, get all the meaning out of the book because it's one thing to just read a book. But if you don't feel the book, why am I reading it? Why am I interviewing you if I don't want to get into your world? So that's what your book does. Your book gave me a chance to look through your window for a very specific period of time and just give me the gratitude for all the things that our armed service people do for us every day. Well, thank you, John. It's uh, It's been a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, I appreciate you having me. And it's been our pleasure. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Retired Wayne Phelps. So if you want to catch our show, you can watch the replays. There was a part one. This is a part two. Lots of great information, especially if you're looking to enlist in the military, the Army, or the Marines. This might be a good book for you to read if you're on the fence about is this something you want to get involved with. Great book. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have some great stuff that we're going to be covering as we're continuing um, when we get back next time about technology. And yes, where is AI going uh, in the rest of our world, medical and other places? So we will see you back uh, in just a minute. But uh, again, I want to thank, uh, thank you again and uh, get yourself a copy of this book. Great book. And uh, I think it's even on audio too. So you can actually download it. Uh, if you don't want to read it, you can have it audio. But I think it means more when you can read it because you can get into it when it's audio. It's like your mind's just doing a hundred things. You're not feeling the book. So again, great book, everyone. A very meaningful book. I have not read a book like this in a long time that I literally could feel every word. Um, and that's a real tribute to you, uh, Attorney Kennel, for amazing writing and a very good style and, and a very good story that you've shared with America. Thank you, sir. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Another amazing interview. And again, my extreme thanks and gratitude uh, for Mr. Lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps for coming on our show twice. There was just so much information in his book. And, um, you know, you can't just read this in one night. There is so much in it. And so... You know, when we think about a lot of the quotes he's brought us and how he was able to talk about things like the high performance teams and just getting into the heads of soldiers 
even asking them when they join uh, the Air Force, the Marines, uh, or the Navy, are you okay with killing someone? And I think that's a question that's very hard to ask. But if they give the answer no, then they deploy that person into another area or unit that doesn't have to deal with daily killings. Really, we have a lot to be grateful for, ladies and gentlemen. We have men and women every day that are protecting us so that we continue to have our freedom. And my hat goes off uh, to Mr. Lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps for the many years he has uh, put in, as well as all the other uh, men and women that continue to serve to fight for our freedom every day and all the challenges and the sacrifices uh, they go through so we can keep our freedom. And also, I want to thank him personally for taking time to write this book and share a story that really needed to be told, which no one ever wanted to communicate. Thank you very much, um, Lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps. Your book was truly amazing. Uh, like I mentioned to you, it was not easy to read. It was extremely emotional. And it brought me right there. Like I was on the sidelines or even in battle. I felt like I was a soldier. And that was a really breathtaking feeling. It was a little scary, but it was breathtaking how he just brought me right into the uh, battlefield. When we think about, you know, drones, we think about um, whether they're on land, whether they're sea or water, or whether we're thinking about robots. Many people are always saying, you know, John, the robot has some impressive hardware. But you know what? It's not the hardware that really matters so much. Of course, it has to be good. But what makes the robot perform the functions and be able to do the day-to-day -day activities that we need in our lives or they need in the military, Navy, Army, Marines, or, or the Air Force, is the specialty and acute level of software that's programmed to handle situations, to know what to do, such as tactical things, being able to gather data, and now using artificial intelligence in the cloud to be able to become smarter so that robot, that RPA, UCA, UCAV, doesn't get itself into trouble because now it's learned. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur. It's been a privilege, a pleasure, and an honor to be with you this evening. It is wonderful to be with you. And I thank uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Retired Wayne Colonel Phelps for uh, being a guest on our show, not once, but twice. So if you have an interesting story about technology, definitely reach out to us. Go to jmore.com um, and let us know. Um, why you'd like to be on our show and what you'd like to share. If you have not already, ladies and gentlemen, you'll see that QR code at the top right. Just take your phone like so, scan the QR code, open that page on your mobile device, and you'll be directed right to my link tree. That's right, my link tree. In case some of you don't actually have a mobile device, which uh, I, I gather that can that's very, very possible. So um, you can just go to link. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E 
forward slash, that's the one by the shift key to the right, J-O-H-N-C-M-O-R-L-E-Y, serial, S-E-R-I-A-L, entrepreneur, E-N-T-R-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R, and you could check out some of the fascinating shows and other content uh, that's produced by us every single week. Well, again, it's always a pleasure to be with you on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. I hope you have a great rest of your night. I hope you have an amazing weekend. And if you haven't already, go out and buy this book. And plan to have it by your side for more than a few weeks because there's a lot in here to digest. Take care, everyone, and be well. Are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtown's Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown.